Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 89 of the Simple Life Podcast. It is another beautiful week here at Simple HQ. We are back again to our regular Monday slots, as you may see. Uh, I took a little bit of time off the other week, as you may have noticed. Uh, and yeah, use that time to my advantage to plan and plot out the future of this little project of ours, which I'm not going to spoil and reveal to you all right now but you'll be seeing a lot more uh, standalone videos and content being produced over the coming weeks and months so keep your eyes out for that and do subscribe like share and all the usual shit when you see it please every little helps i'm gonna co-opt and take that back from tesco where unless the trademark it somebody check with the trademark it because I, I can't be asked getting sued by an international supermarket anyway sliding on to today's guest uh there's a loose segue there actually if you look international conglomerate international travel we're kind of moving in the right direction anyway today's guest <laughs> is uh, an avid cyclist who between 2015 and september 2017 self-funded a 19,000 mile road trip on his uh, bike which i subsequently found out is named rhino uh, across europe india nepal australia and new zealand all while vaping some of the world's finest cannabis in a herbal vaporizer they are roger boyd who is also uh fuck this up who is also the founder sorry of the healthy stuff uh, sorry healthystoner.com and .co.uk. Roger Boyd. Hey, Simba. Lovely to, lovely to have, oh, lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Glad, glad we're all messing this up right now. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I like it. Thank you. Uh, pleasure. It's a pleasure. You've been on my list for, for, for quite a while and um, you, you were bumped up it quite heavily uh, by, I suppose, a, a mutual contact of ours that's putting on a certain event later on uh, next month. Yeah. And um yeah, it, that kickstarted me to have a look at kind of what you're doing, because I, I, I remember seeing the headlines and I never really looked at like 19,000 thought, how fucking far is 19,000 miles? Like, how big is India? I never really considered conceptually the achievement or the, the feat, you know what I mean? So I'm really glad we've got the time to sit down and discuss this because this is a hell of a journey and I can't wait for, uh, for my guests and listeners, for my audience and listeners to, uh, to hear all about it. Oh, mate, thank you very much. Well, like anything in life, you just break it down into into very small chunks, and uh, and it happens, you know. So, nineteen thousand miles does sound like a long way, but what you need to do is, you know, when you break it down to kind of between fifty and seventy miles a day, five days a week over a couple of years, you got nineteen thousand miles. That's how, how it kind of works. It was just my day job for two years, and I loved it. Wow. Even even that though, you're talking fifty. Yeah, you know, fifty seventy miles a day. I mean, even for someone in a car, most people are like, oh, screw doing that. That's way too much. But that that's brah. So obviously this so, is sorry, go on. If you can break it down even further. So, you know, that's kind of four hours in the afternoon, four hours in four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon, uh, with a nice little lunch break, bit of time in the morning for getting my porridge down me and uh, bit, you know, a bit of chill time in the evening to try and find someone to have a wash, potentially, maybe not, and uh, you know, just get the tent up wherever and enjoy some surroundings and a little relaxing vape to kind of cool, to, to cool, you know, cool down with. So yeah, that's yeah. it. Wow, so, see, did you camp all of it, the majority of it as well? I, I kind of mixture really. So like, you know, I was, I've done it, I always loved cycling, but I hadn't done that much cycle touring really before I started. So it was all a bit new to me from the beginning. And hmm. Europe was a good place to kind of get my wings, so to speak. So I was kind of doing a bit of, Bit of camping, a bit, bit of wild camping, and you know the occasional um, kind of guest house back, backpacker, with, you know backpacker kind of place um, would, would be the kind of the treat. But yeah, um, I, I sort of dived straight in with wild camping and, and made loads of mistakes. Uh, got my got my new sleeping bag totally soaked, and 
you know, did all the, did all the, you know, it's good to make those mistakes because then you don't make them again. Um, but yeah, a mixture in um, Europe. India was mainly kind of hotels because it's kind of cheap there. You don't, you know, it's 10 or a night for a nice hotel in India. Camping isn't so much of a thing there. It's, uh, it's just because it's, I guess it's so super humid. And I did try a few times, but I was kind of just kind of squelching around my tent, like greased up naked guy from Family Guy, you know, like it, was, <laughs> it wasn't pleasant. So uh, yeah, just, I kind of treat myself to some hostels and accommodation in, in India. But yeah, it, Australia and New Zealand was pretty much entirely camping, apart from the cities. And that was, that was amazing. That was kind of like my graduation at that point. I'd, I'd done, done a few countries by that point and I knew what I was doing. And, and yeah, that, that was amazing. I loved it. Wow. So, so you accrued sort of the skills and you obviously, you must have been quite an avid cyclist prior to this. Obviously, you don't just kind of go, you know, I'm going to go for a ride on my bike. Yeah, the average person will go, oh, they'll loop around the city maybe. No one kind of just goes, I'm just going to cycle to Australia. Well, I mean, I didn't, strictly speaking, I didn't cycle to Australia, but I did, I, I kind of termed it as three, diff, three tours, a Europe tour, an India tour, and an Australasia tour. Um, and I, yeah, I'd done, I'd done Lands End to John O'Groats in, back in 2005 with a mate, um, just sort of, just after leaving uni, that was, that was good. Um, and I'd always, you know, cycling has always been a passion of mine. I've, I've always loved it. I've always wanted to do this trip and I bored my friends for many years talking about it. And they were just like, you know, come on, get on with it. But, um, you know, saving up to do that is, is not easy. It's, it was quite, you know, supporting is, I didn't really work the whole two years. So I had to save up enough to support myself at that time and get around the, the world as well. So yeah, that took a while to, to sort out. Um, but yeah, like, I wasn't really kind of practiced at riding with a fully loaded touring bike either. But again, you just kind of learn on, on route, really. Um, you just sort of start doing it. Like with anything, you just got to check yourself in the deep end and, and kind of learn on route. That's what I did. Mm. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So was, was, was there a, kind of a catalyst to it? Was there a, a galvanizing moment that you can think of where you just kind of went, I'm doing it. Screw it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And you, was there that moment or did it just kind of, was there a slow burn to it? There was a, I mean, it always been a dream. Um, way, way before I even discovered cannabis, I always wanted to have a, you know, I always sort of liked the idea of traveling from point A to point B on my bike rather than doing a kind of loop, um, making it a, a viable form of transport, you know? Um, and then I discovered cannabis and, and I kind of like forgot about it a bit. Um, but then I guess when I started, when I made the shift from kind of from smoking my, my weed from like joints and bongs to vaporizing, that really blew me away. And then I started the blog. And once I started the blog, I was like, oh, hang on, why don't there's the, there's the cycling around the world thing that, that would go really well with the blog. And it all kind of came together from there, really. And I was at the time I was working in London um, and London's really expensive, man. Like <laughs> I, I was kind of, just, you know, I wasn't really able to save much money then. So I was just kind of treading water. And I thought, what am I doing here? I really want to make this dream happen. So I moved home, moved back to my parents when I was about 30 and just saved hard and, uh, and made it happen. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's, how it that's, that's commitment in a nutshell. I mean, yeah, that, that's what it's about. I mean, a lot of people would then consider moving back in the parents to be a failure, but to make it a conscious decision to be able to have 
that wealth of experience and, and knowledge that you've now accrued of sort of different cultures and of yourself, your own limits, your own potential. I think that's invaluable. You know, I mean, there's very few people get an opportunity to do that. And I think obviously a lot of people have these grand visions, but to actually have the fortitude to kind of just go, nah, fuck it. I mean, that, that's that's commendable, man. That really is commendable. Well, it's, you know, I was in, in a place um, that I'm sure a lot of people are as well, where I, you know, I had this job and it was, the money was all right, but it didn't, I didn't love it, you know, man. I didn't, it wasn't a passion and I, I, I could feel it, you know, it was okay to, in the beginning, but I've been there for nearly 10 years and it was kind of eating away at me and I knew I wanted to change my life. And I yeah. thought that this is a good way to do it. And it, and it did, it worked. So that's good. <laughs> Excellent. So, so Europe came first. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, did you ride from home, uh, the base at home, or did you sort of land in the continent and start from a, a base out there? I actually started in Newcastle. Um, I was, yeah, it was my starting point, partly because, uh, as I mentioned before we went on air, my, my granddad was from that area, from Durham. Um, but also, uh, I started on a, on a charity ride, actually, for the big ride for Palestine. So I did that um, from Durham down, from Newcastle down to London. Uh, and then, and that was basically the start. So then I cycled back to Hampshire, um, and from there, uh, you know, a couple of days to kind of pull, pull my kit together fully, and down to Portsmouth, where I got the ferry to Cherbourg, and started my sort of French adventure there, which was, uh, yeah, which was great. But it was cut short because I, I, I am five days into France, right? I, um, I'm in this campsite. Uh, you know, you know the avocado is the most dangerous uh, fruit or vegetable on the planet, right? So, <laughs> no, please explain. <laughs> I'm in this campsite. I'm pretty exhausted. Uh, it's like a Saturday. I didn't really have much food with me apart from a multi pack of Twix, uh, like a thing of camembert, and an avocado. So I thought I'm gonna have the avocado first. Uh, my mate had given me a brand new knife, uh, like a, a really oh. nice <laughs> <Gerber> pen knife. <laughs> Had the avocado in my hand, sliced through the, the tendons and nerve in my pinky finger, you know, like bloods everywhere. I stumbled to that next tent, scared this poor lady and her two kids, but um, got taken off to the local hospital. Luckily, every every hospital in France specialises in something, and Angers Hospital, where I was near, specialises in hands. So, like, <laughs> so the next day, I had the best friend, the best hand surgeon in France, operating on me. And and it was all good, but he said I couldn't cycle for six weeks, so that was good. So I had to put the I had to just you know that's five days into France. But you know what? That was the worst thing that happened in the entire two years. So I had to just recover for six weeks, um, and I went I actually went down to Ibiza, and I was I was trying I was aiming to go to meet some friends in Ibiza anyway. Um, so I went down there and kind of hung out with them, camped there for six weeks while my hand healed up, and went back to Angers in in October. And carried on so yeah it was but you know that was really sort of taught me it was a real kind of slap in the face and made me realize that actually I'm, I'm out here on my own I've really got to be careful I can't be doing anything stupid and I think that you know stood me in good stead for the for the rest of the journey yeah yeah I was thinking of the kind of the universe likes to teach us lessons in certain ways and give us those kind of forewarnings um, a lot of people kind of get a glimpse of this or through subculture, through uh, pop culture rather, in like a final destination. You know what I mean? If some, you, you see a glimpse of something, and if you don't pay attention, something bad could happen. And I think, yeah, that's that's very much kind of the universe going, wait, you plan to do what? 
calm down a second, calm down. Yeah, go, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, there's potential problems out here. And I think that then it also, it's twinned that with going, no, but here's the best hand doctor in the land. He'll sort you out. Yeah. So I think it's, it is that, that wonderful kind of, it was yeah. a weird blessing in disguise. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So obviously you enjoyed your time. You healed up. So I did. What yeah. sort of what sort of route did you did you take? What the country? So when I got so I left, I, I was camping on this this campsite um, where I cut my hand. It was a lovely kind of elderly French couple who were just really really lovely people, and they let me just stash my bike and all my kit there in Angers. So when I came back in October, the temperature had dropped significantly, which was weird. It was quite cold by then. Um, but yeah, I just sort of headed south down to Toulouse uh, and then kind of across to Carcassonne and Papignon and then followed the coast down to Barcelona um, and went back to, got the ferry over to Ibiza because uh, there's a lovely club there called Cloud where they wanted me to, to kind of go back and do a little talk there to, about what I was doing. So I did that and then uh, got the ferry to Valencia and then followed the coast down to Granada and the Sierra Nevada mountains, which I strongly recommend. There's a real good scene there. Amazing hash that comes over from, uh, from Morocco and just loads of grows there. It's a really cool, really lovely place. So I'd love to go back there actually. Uh, and then kind of re followed my route back up, back up the coast of Spain to uh, back into France and up into the French Alps. Skiing's a massive passion of mine. Um, I've done it, I've, I was lucky enough to win a trip from from work um, when I was like 26. So I've, I've kind of been skiing since then, but I'd never done a season. And I, I kind of, uh, I, I got a job already at the ski, the ski resort, um, which I was going towards anyway. So I spent five months, I just stopped for the winter there, spent five months skiing and getting stoned in the mountains. And uh, and then followed, carried on the, the following April uh, down to Rome. And then through like the former Yugoslavia, Slovenia, Croatia, Serbia, Macedonia, Greece, uh, and that was yeah. And then on to India from there. So that was that was Europe. But yeah, like I, I as a guy, uh, a really nice guy uh, who uh, that I went to stay with, who runs uh, Dope Smoke Dope, Dope UK, and he he was the, living in Okiva in the Sierra Nevada mountains, um, and he kind of publicised my my adventure on his his blog which got a bit of traction and some people from serbia and Macedon and uh and not Serbia, yeah sorry serbia and uh, croatia reached out and said i'll oh, come come and see the, the cannabis scene here which is brilliant because that would be particularly difficult to to get into it's you know it's very illegal there um so that was cool so i went to to meet them and yeah you're like really cool to see like because that is proper you know that's like the cannabis scene in the uk Back in the, the 80s or 90s, I'd say, you know, it's really illegal there, it's really underground, and you can get in trouble for it. So that was really cool to, to get under the bonnet of, of the scene there. Yeah. Man, so obviously a lot of people sort of listening to this, so then they've got their own experiences with police and with authorities and have their own sort of nervousness. And I guess I kind of don't like the term, but it is quite accurate, I suppose, paranoia about being detained and caught with cannabis, even in their own hometown. Yeah how did you deal with or how did you feel um about then procuring and traveling with with cannabis in regions that often you wouldn't i guess speak the language yeah that's a good point and uh it was a concern for sure um but i wasn't you know i know how to be discreet i've always you know i'm not going to just be waving anything in front of people's faces 
also I was I was vaping the whole time. You know, if you, if you smoke a joint, that smell carries a lot further than if you if you're vaping in a dry head vape. So that helped. I think being a cycle tourer also helped. You know, like that was kind of a disguise. I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone kind of assumed that I was a stoner, so that that also helped too. So I think that was probably the main thing, actually. Well, it's, it's it's duplicitous almost. The the nature and intent of the blog, I guess, is to break the stigma, but also show that that the stigma exists because that's how you're quite able to just cycle yeah. through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I didn't put a cannabis you know flag on my bike or anything. As much as I would love to, um, it's that you got to kind of be realistic about the about the risks and stuff you know i was in different countries it could have gone wrong but luckily it was all right wow so did you then continue on as you said sort of straight into to india from uh from europe from the mediterranean yeah yeah so i mean i i am sure and there is a there is an underground cannabis scene in the middle east you know um from from what i've heard locals can get get hold of, of nice hash and, and cannabis there, but it's a lot more difficult for tourists. And if you're caught with it, it's extremely serious. So as much as I would have loved to have gone through the Middle East and just done the proper, you know, overland uh, Middle East uh, route, um, it wasn't really it wasn't really possible. I, I just kind of drew the line there. So I, I took a flight from Greece to the, to south of in, to South India. I'd been to India before, so I knew I could pick up a large amount of weed in Kerala, which I did, and that so that was like my my starting point. And I stopped, so I flew into uh, Kerala, but then cycled down to a place called Kanyakumari, which is the very southern point of India. And I, that was my starting and end point in India. So, yeah, kind of. Yes, did you go round India then? I did, yes, including Nepal at the top. Jesus. <laughs> That's, uh, I'm, I'm just picturing it on, I'm on my, I'm in my head. I've got like an old screensaver that I used to have as a kid and it would go like scroll over the world and I'm just imagining the outline of, that's yeah. um, that, that's a couple of miles. So what, what, what does that equate to? I think it was 6,000 in total over six months. I have to check that. But yeah, it was around, yeah, about 6,000 over six months, about roughly 8,000 a month. Um, so that's, the beginning that's beginning of the trip was, I'm not going to lie, man, it was, it was terrifying. I was like, what have I got myself into? I... As I said, I've been to Kerala before, but I didn't quite remember or realize how busy the, the roads are there. Because so I kind of figured, you know, around Delhi, yeah, that's going to be crazy and, and Mumbai and, and all that. But yeah, I mean, the, the roads, it's very, very different to the UK. I mean, it's it's much slower for a start. So the, the traffic's moving a lot slower, which is obviously good. But it's just, there's a lot of it. There's much more of it. And it's all kind of a bit more random. There's cars coming towards you. Uh, on the wrong side of the road which is normal there kind of thing that's allowed so you know it took me a while to know that okay right so if a car's coming towards me i've got to go right into the traffic rather than ha- hang left because that's where they are you know i didn't know what to do initially yeah, yeah. there's also people around their horns the whole time which in the uk and europe and most of the rest of the world is kind of an aggressive thing isn't it you know mm-hmm. if you somebody beeps at you and it's like well you know what's, what's your problem but there they use their, their horns more of a kind of an echolocation Thing. Yeah. so it's uh so if you don't I am here yeah exactly but you know diving into that with the humidity and the heat and just the craziness of the traffic initially for the like the first month i was like you know just pleased to survive every day <laughs> but, yeah. but it kind of once i got used to everything and got you know just got used to how everything worked it, that kind of faded away and I, and I really started to enjoy it i did enjoy it but it was just 
bit of a struggle to begin with. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. So, is India, I suppose, it's similar to quite a lot of uh, other countries in that larger population centers will predominantly have more second and third language speakers of English, but then smaller regions typically will not have any real need for use of English. So, did you find the the language barrier difficult in in different regions across country? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, I got by there basically, but there's, you know, there's each region of India has its own language. So there's, there's, you know, it's, it's not Hindi everywhere. It's, it's, uh, it's a mishmash of languages and, uh, east, east, the eastern side of Europe, uh, Europe, the eastern side of India was kind of easier because of that's where a lot of the, the, the kind of the British stuff was back in, back in the day. Mm. Um, so like around Kolkata and stuff from there, there's a lot of, you know, that's where a lot of, a lot of the cricket is and um so yeah that was that was a bit easier but yeah, i mean like generally there was somebody who, who kind of spoke english about so and i got by with you know with i could say thank you everywhere and be polite that's the main thing and just not you know order a cup of tea which is which are the roadside chai stores man that, that I, they got me through a sweet cup of chai oh you can't beat that mm. it's delicious so that was good um uh, yeah so and generally, if people, people, lots of people wanted to talk to me all the time, which I loved. It was really nice. And and if they came to speak to me, they generally could speak English, so that that was good. Yeah. I think they kind of, they didn't try and speak to me unless they could they could speak English, which helped. Yeah. But you know, mime is mime is a powerful tool, <laughs> and you can yeah. you can you can get a lot through with mime. Yeah, true, true, true. I suppose linguistically, before we developed the neural uh, cortex in front of our brain we didn't have the ability to retain and structure alphabets and language in the same way. So although we had grunts and whatever, most things were gestural, which is why we still carry things like handshakes and fist bumps and elbows yeah. and kitchens and stuff. Nuanced cultures have different ways. And it's just almost a case of cracking that language, as you say, to be able to show common etiquette. And once you can show common etiquette, most cultures around the world will forgive your absence of language because how are you supposed to know all of the languages? That's it, man. Do, yeah, do yeah. You know yeah. I mean? It's a human humility, I guess. Exactly. Always with a smile and mm. just, you know, friendliness and that gets you, that's, it gets you pretty far. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose the other thing people, before we get on Australia, because that's the extreme one, I suppose, people, when people think of India, they think uh, animals, they think a lot of wildlife. Yeah. So you're then riding off, yeah, major cities, there's roads, I suppose we can argue about the quality of the roads, um, mm. or discuss that rather, but in other parts of the regions, I'm guessing it's very off-road and I imagine that's more jungle, as in more like nature's spot man goes yeah. through nature rather than nature goes through man do you know what i'm trying to say very much yeah um yeah i mean i was right a couple of times i was riding through like tiger parks where there were wild tigers yeah that was that was interesting um and yeah like elephants i mean they weren't wild but loads of loads of kind of elephants about all over the place which i just who doesn't love an elephant man i, I just yeah couple of times I just had a little moments with elephants in the street was which was just beautiful really just then you know yeah. kind of rubbing their head and stuff and yeah so nice yeah man again I bet because they're just so, so much so majestic they have a gentleness unless you piss them off they have yeah. a, a incredible gentleness about them and again it's like humbling to see size yeah. something of that size move with such majesty i guess yeah, yeah at the same time you know there, there are, you do see quite a few shackled elephants as well which is a bit sad to see but it's 
still the, the cultural differences in different ways. I mean, I say, say that I say that as a vegan. Um, there are obviously stories that you see elephants, like I said before, they hold grudges, they get pissed, they are intellectual, they can mm. work in packs and attack people and things. Not always at all. That's the same way of saying like not everybody, but you know what I mean. It's so I, I can't judge for what they're doing necessarily. Do you know what I mean? I can obviously feel bad for for the animal and, and whatever else. Um, yeah, yeah, I get that. That must be quite quite difficult. So obviously tigers and elephants and stuff. Is there a lot of sort of monkeys or native sort of creatures like that that are quite mis mischievous? Did you come across any like bag snatching monkeys or anything like that in the in the major cities? Yeah, I saw some, there were loads of monkeys in, in uh, like Jaipur around there, um, in sort of Rajasthan. And yeah, they, they, they are quite, I mean, a couple of times I was riding, once I was this little mountain in South Rajasthan called Mount Abu. And yeah, they, they kind of, you, know, you get too close to them, you think they look quite friendly, but you get too close to them, they all bare their teeth and, you know, you wouldn't, definitely wouldn't want to mess with those guys. So uh, yeah, they're, they're they're funny little funny little guys just sat there on the road, kind of you know eating mm -hmm. banana and stuff. Eats, I saw one guy eating some crisps. So just sat on the road <laughs> eating some crisps. <laughs> monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, wow. So uh, I saw an image. I obviously before I get guests on, I, I just scroll through the internet. And I saw an image, uh, I can't remember which uh, journalist to attribute the piece to, but it was uh, of a guru and it was saying that you, you'd smoked with, and I'm assuming here by the the uh, attire the gentleman was wearing, that that was either in India or Nepal? That was that was that very same place actually, in Mount Abu, yeah. That was just one of those experiences that you couldn't really make up, you know, it was kind of... Uh, so yeah, I, I climbed a mountain on my bike and met a guru and got high with him in his temple, which was pretty special. Wow. <laughs> I was just cycling along, cycling up this this big mountain, and and it was it was you know it was a day's ride to get to the top basically, mm -hmm. and it had been raining quite it was raining quite heavily, and this this guy with a really big smile and, and big dreads kind of came out and just smiled at me and was like just said two words smoke smoke, I was like put the brakes on, popped <laughs> <laughs> up. And got straight into straight into the um, into his little place, and it was it was brilliant, man. It was it was such a cool little experience. That was the only time I smoked on the trip, actually, because you know, like I don't smoke, I, I vaporize, I only vaporize. But if you're in a guru's temple and he's offering you a chillin', you know, you, you kind of got a, you can't say no to that, can you? So yeah. I I did have a, a couple of tokes on his chillin', and wow, it was. It was potent. Mm. Uh, he wasn't too impressed with my vape, I've got to say. He, he sort of uh, he gave it a try. I guess when you're used to a chillin', a vape it's... probably not going to cut it. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah it's, I suppose that's different. Like a severing an arm and a pinprick is maybe a spectrum of, <laughs> of analysis there, I suppose. Uh, absence and shandy, maybe. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, it, it must have been a real. I mean, was there much, uh, did he speak much English? Were you able to have a sort of like dialogue with him? We tried. He didn't, yeah. no, he didn't speak much English at all. But he, he got some mates along that kind of did speak slightly better English. Um, so we, we did our, but you know, I had some weed on me. He had some weed we shared, you know, we yeah. kind of compared and it was, it was good. So we, we didn't need that many words. That's, that is a universal language. There is not a place or country I've visited yet in the world. I mean, I literally, I visited Scotland yesterday and I think I visited 12 shops and I walked away with five different buds from people who just going, oh, he, you need to take this, that pride of just sharing that yeah. care. And it's, it's a, 
that etiquette, it's that humility, the respect that we were just sort of uh, speaking of before. It was just, I, I was just curious about um, sort of his thoughts of the, the traditional sort of uh, cultural consumption of a chillum and the daily use and the ritualistic use of it over there compared to then a Western culture, what the kind of thoughts are on this new technology, on the digitizing, the 21st centurizing, there's a shitty bit of words for you to deal with at home. <laughs> Um, of 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 cannabis you know obviously yes we do need to marry these worlds together in in some ways and i believe obviously vaporization has place but i also massively believe that that spiritual ritualistic consumption has a huge part to play absolutely yeah true i mean i should i mean there is a ritual i mean I, with with the whole ritual thing i think you know for me it's i've built new rituals into each vape has its own ritual so i kind of there are rituals with with the, with the vapes. They're just they're just different, and you know if you've got, a, you know they just they just change like, like everything. Um, but now I, I hear man, and I couldn't really you know get into that with with him that much because of the language barrier. Um, but and actually I didn't realize I didn't realize until I got back from India that vaporizers are totally banned and illegal there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like you pop through India though. You just you literally go the entirety all the way around, just la, 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 la. like fuck the tigers. They're going that guy in the back, get his vape, get his vape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, luckily, I mean, it, the, the, I had a, a riser solo when I was when I was there, and I don't think it doesn't. You know, it looks kind of weird. No, it doesn't. It's more like a battery pack with a bit of glass stuck in it. So I don't think anyone kind of realised what it was. Then I hadn't, didn't have any problems with well, that. Sport, again, cyclists, it's a fancy sports water bottle. Look at the white man and his 21st century water bottle. <laughs> yeah, or some kind of air pressure thing. I was yeah. going to say that. That's yeah, for the tyres, for the tyres, for the tyres. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. you kind of get rid of that. It's kind of ambiguous looking. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, um, yeah, there is, he was, he was allowed to use cannabis for his, you know, his own, sort of religious ritualistic reasons and you know that's that, and that's how it works there basically you know it's kind of illegal but not for him which is yeah. which is good yeah it's, it's yeah they've, they've kind of had to grandfather in the cultural religious and historic traditions of a region it was one of the clauses in the 1961 un convention on uh, single convention on narcotics it's the same clause that uh uruguay used to opt out of the convention they just basically like unsigned then re-signed and the grandfatherings changes their law retrospectively. Um, so yeah. it's, it's an interesting bit of international legislation that needs to be exploited there uh, for anybody happening to want to start a church of <laughs> cannabis here in the UK. That's interesting. Yeah, there is there is a hell of a grey area there to be exploited. Um, <laughs> all right, so Similarly in Nepal, actually, that cannabis is legal there for one day a year, which is funny. Isn't it? It, like, what's the festival? Uh, yeah, I, I should know this. No, I don't. I'm gonna write it down. Yeah. Uh... But the, yeah, the scene in Nepal is excellent. Like the, I I didn't fully appreciate how Nepal was like the Amsterdam of Asia before like the US put pressure on it and everywhere else in the world to criminalize cannabis. But yeah, it's massive scene of it there. It's it's really lovely place. I, I'd recommend it to any cannabis enthusiast. Yeah, I mean sure. anyone that knows old school hash knows Nepalese was considered yeah. the highest on the menu uh you obviously had different markets around the world uh, in, in lebanon and uh, uh morocco etc but yeah in terms of the i suppose hash of a quality that frenchy rest of soul would uh would consider to be good good quality and again yeah. it's done traditionally it's done through generational handing down of knowledge and 
again, it's that's what I want to see with the eradication of this global war on drugs. Imagine that knowledge then being shared, not to be exploited by Western capitalists, but just to be handed down in the same way that we do in, in the UK culture or the American or a Canadian culture or anywhere else that I have listeners and wherever else there's a culture, you know what I mean? Uh, I just, I can't wait to then see, yeah, what that can look like in, in the future. Definitely, man. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, so uh, India, Nepal, where, where sort of came next? Was there, was there a break or did you just go, you know, I've, I've just done 6,000. I fancy <laughs> a few more, you know what I mean? Not going on yet. Uh, after, uh, after, well, Nepal was fantastic, then just back into India uh, and then sort of cycling south through uh, on, the, on the kind of slightly more off the beaten track, east coast of, of India, where you don't get that many tourists. That was really interesting around there. I was really some cool places down there and yeah, some, found some really good, good weed uh, towards the south. And yeah, then got back down to just kind of completed my lap in uh, Kanyu Kumari. Um, and then from there, uh, left and flew off to, to New Zealand, where I was sort of started doing a bit of cycling in New Zealand. Unfortunately, I so basically I, I was taking a, an anti-malarial uh, thing all the way around India, which is basically a the, the one I chose was like an, also an antibiotic because it also keeps dengue fever away. So that's, but it's taken out, I took an antibiotic basically for six months, which isn't good for you. And it wasn't, that's, that's not a good thing to do. And I did, and what I think happened is I, I must have picked up a food bug in that, like a parasite. I did pick up a parasite basically, but the, the antibiotic must have kept it away. So when I got to New Zealand, I obviously stopped taking the antibiotic. And I got just really, really ill. Like I was, I was eating loads, but I was just losing loads of weight and I had, you know, diarrhea and stuff. I didn't know what was going on. I kept on cycling until I just, it kind of got to the point where I knew something was up. So I went to the doctor and they're like, yeah, you've, you've got a parasite basically. So um, I was kind of, I'd lost a lot of weight by that time. I was pretty skinny. So um, I decided to, I, I did cycle the North Island, New Zealand. And I hadn't seen my mum and dad for uh, like a, about a year by that point. They uh, they came out and hired a camper van and we, we did like the South Island in the camper van with them. And I ate a lot and got my strength back basically. So that was really nice. So yeah, cycled the North Island, not the South, but I'd love to, I would love to go back and cycle the South because that was, it was stunning. Mm -hmm. And then, from, yeah, so we got my strength back uh, at a couple of, a month in New Zealand. And then from there, um, went, uh, flew over to Perth to, to start the Australian adventure. And, you know, on, on full strength at that point. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah. Wow. I mean, a lot of people again at that point kind of go, ah, I'm going to go on. I'm going to go figure this out. We'll, we'll come by later. <laughs> again, have a, a committed family that are like at 30. Mom, I'm moving back. What do you mean you're moving back? I'm, I'm going to cycle the world. What do you mean you're going to cycle the world? <laughs> to then go, I'm, Mom, I'm, I'm ill. I'm in New Zealand. Do you want to come out and have a holiday out here and you can feed us loads and take care of us? And, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's supportive parenting right there. That, yeah, that's they're awesome. legends, yeah. They're, they're great. That's I love awesome. them. Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, and you know, they're you know they've they've ne neither of them have ever they never touched cannabis or any other drug. Uh, Mum smoked when she was like twenty, but she, uh, I suspect it was kind of more social. She never really inhaled. Yeah, um, yeah. They're, they're both. My dad is really anti-smoking, but they. But they kind of they they've it's taken me a, a while as you know as I'm sure a lot of people go through this journey with their parents of kind of like educate educating them and you know like a bit of back and forth and mm -hmm. 
and now they're you know they're fully behind me so so that's good um yeah so i'm lucky i know a lot of people don't have that yeah no it's excellent man um I've just had a friend of mine come back from Australia and he drove the, the I can't remember what it is, from the, basically the, the, he did the southern bit. And he, he, he said, oh, yeah, it took about eight days. Like, what the hell are you on about? And I went and looked at a map, uh, and this is before I was even thinking about this. And yeah, the, the scale of Australia blows my goddamn mind every time I actually remember the size of it. So when you look at a map, you're like, ah, oh, that little thing down there, nah. But obviously all modern Western maps are geographically skewed to, to preface the Northern and Western hemisphere. Yeah. So, so yeah, Australia, where, where did you go there? Because I mean, Jesus Christ, there's some things there that'll, that want to nibble at you. Screw those tigers, they're like, oh, I'm not, it's too fast food. I don't want that. <laughs> but those little spiders and things, there's a, there's a lot in Australia. So, uh, yeah, tell there us what is. the adventure down under. Well, luckily, I, can't, it, I, I wanted to do Australia in, in their winter, um, which for obvious reasons, for the heat. Um, but also, it's the, the creepy crawlies were all hibernating then as well. So that, that kind of helped. The snakes and all the, the spiders, they're, they're generally kind of underground or, or not, not as active as they would be in the summer anyway. So that, that helped. I didn't see... That many uh, bugs and stuff. You, you, you know, you think they're everywhere. Uh, that's the kind of image you have of Australia, don't you? But yeah. yeah, I didn't see that many. So that was that was kind of lucky. I was considering I was camping everywhere, and I was. Although one time actually I was in my tent. I can't remember where this was in Australia, but yeah, I just kind of looked at the bottom of my tent, and there was quite a large spider that somehow had got inside my tent. So that was a bit disconcerting. I don't know what it was, but I got it out. Quite quick. <laughs> I think uh, one of my most the general rule in Australia: the smaller, the worse. Yeah, big, big, you're fine. Let's get the shit out of here, but just bat him and get him out, get him out of your house. But if he's small, burn it down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I started, in, I started in Perth, Western Australia, mm-hmm. um, which I think that might, if I was going to live in any anywhere in Australia, I think it'd be there. You know, mm-hmm. that really kind of that, that kind of chimed with my my I. My, my ideal neighbor's view of, of Australia that I'd grown up with, you know, like clear blue skies and um, just beautiful beaches, clean city. Perth is an amazing city. Uh, it was a really nice place to start. Um, so yeah, that was good. And just, it was all kind of, it was a nice beginning as well. Kind of like, you know, like I said, in Europe, it was uh, like a bit of a kind of easy, easy beginning. Cause there's, there's a lot of stuff in, in Western Australia to explore around the coast, like Mar- Margaret river area is really beautiful. There's a lot of wine growing around there. Um, I couldn't help, couldn't help but think that there's obviously got to be really good for chronic, for, for weed growing as well. That, that would be great around there. Um, and then, then it really kind of started, um, when I, when I got towards, uh, Esperance, uh, which is getting a little bit more wild then, and then up to a place called Norseman, which is, uh, beginning of, uh, the Nullarbor, which is basically a big, it's about 850 miles, something like that, of, um, of nothingness. It's like about, I can't remember, like three or four gas stations and that's it. So it's, that was the, the, the most wild place I went in the whole trip. That was amazing. Yeah, it was like, you have to kind of, you load up, there's, the, the, there's a supermarket in Norseman uh, and there's a supermarket at the end of the, the, the town at the end, which I can't remember the name of now. And there's yeah, there's no supermarket. There's, there's a few gas stations. There's nowhere to get any like fresh fruit or fresh veg or anything. And water's a problem there as well. So you had to like, my my bike was at the heaviest when I left Norseman. It was like 70, something like seventy kilos because I had like twelve liters of water on me. Um, you know, just a massive bag of food yeah. uh, and everything I'd need to to kind of 
to get through. But it was that was that was a real good experience. Wow. I mean, again, prior planning prevents piss poor performance, as they say. So, Indeed. again, could have really screwed up with that one. It's good. There'll be, there'll be a supermarket coming. There'll be a supermarket coming. She's got one of those delusions of the Mirage appearing. It's a Tesco. They don't have Tesco's here. It's a Tesco. It's a Tesco. <laughs> yeah. um, That's got the, the longest, I think it's the longest straight road in the world is, is in the Nalabor as well. Which is like, I think it's 87 miles of just straight road. Which is pretty crazy. It'd be interesting to look at the crash statistics on that because I still bet there's some idiots. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. The, in terms of road traffic, the, the get the road trains there as well, which are they can be a bit scary. They're kind of these massive eighteen wheelers, and there's like, you know, tr just tr it's literally trains. So there's oh, like a lorry, and there's yeah. another lorry trailer on the back that's kind of attached to it. And they don't really like moving. So if they're coming behind, you need to get out of the way. I mean, the force they move. I first encountered these uh, road trains in Canada. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Having done a night flight, landed, had a real piss around trying to get my rental car. Got in my rental car at like 11 o'clock goddamn night. Down off the motorway, trying to understand why it's in 120 miles an hour. And then going, oh, shit, that's kilometers. Oh, crap, what am I doing? Trying to then understand like all, all these different things. Still being on the other side of the road. Yeah, down a single carriage. And a lorry goes to overtake us from going so slow because I'm trying to figure out the things. And it just kept overtaking me and overtaking me. And when it finally passed, like the third part of it passed, the wind that went with it nearly sent yeah. us into, into the barriers, man. The terrifying machine. So on a bike, you know yeah. what I mean? A, a car passing a bike, you see enough with the, with, with the wobbles. Christ. Yeah, there's definitely a, a backdraft. Yeah, there's, well, there's, I suppose if there's only two, two, two supermarkets as well, there's not exactly going to be a nice hospital in the middle that happens to specialise in road traffic accidents with cyclists <laughs> and road trains. <laughs> yeah, no, there wasn't. But, but there were lots of really friendly Aussies who just wanted to help out. You know, they're, they're all in their massive Winnebago's and kind of like massive caravans and stuff. Um, and yeah, they're like, often they'd be like, oh, yeah, here's a bunch of food. Here's a nice bit of stew we made and stuff. Which is really nice of them. So that was cool. Also, you know, obviously, you've got to say there's, they can be a little bit racist as well. So there's that too, unfortunately. But, um, you know, uh, it's just uh, that's everywhere, unfortunately, isn't it? So you just, unfortunately, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's still it's still there. But um, you know, it's uh, it is what it is. Mm. Yeah, no, I found that I did a. 6,000 miles, not on a bike. I did it in several cars across America in, uh, in, in 2018. And yeah, there were some rural spots and I kind of learned to to empathize with, with the position in a way that if I was raised them, lived as them, thought as them, I'd, I'd kind of be them. And then th they don't know any better yet necessarily, or they've then got a bitterness or a, a venality that's been created against an other because of yeah. an inability to deal with you know socioeconomic issues larger governmental problems individual personal relationship issues do you know what i mean it's a whole i, I found it was a weird kind of, anyone. i found no, it was, i found it was a weird kind of fear really more than there was, it was a weird kind of scaredness yeah. of, of of i don't know what of, of aboriginal people it was i don't know why it's it's kind of weird well, it's yeah. the, the the rights rising in australia for people that obviously don't know uh the australian aborigines have been one of the most fucked over uh, indigenous cultures in yeah. the world historically yeah. and it is still highly buried highly contentious the australian government uh, it's probably getting me in trouble uh, has been involved in suppression of information consecutive governments this isn't individuals this is an institutional 
uh, aspect of the government uh, over decades and certain things are coming to light now about effectively let's call them what they are genocides mm. um, and cultural suppression and whenever something like that comes to light I think there is a we now know from the study of holocaust surviving children in intergenerational trauma about intergenerational trauma and I think it works the other side of it that the inflictors of this as well carry in almost a, an inherent guilt this isn't the same as white guilt that's what I'm saying don't get at me on that in the comments folks I just mean that we biologically carry our ancestors trauma good bad indifferent do you know what I mean and I think that yeah. that manifests in these ways when we don't have especially a wider spectrum of opinion to discuss this with. If everyone else around you has the same fear and they've never met an Aboriginal, they've only ever heard the horror stories raised by their grandfather and their grandfather and their grandfathers, you can kind of, so again, to empathise with their position, not their ideology, is what I was sort of getting to before. And it's, yeah, Australia is a complex situation, guys. It is not as black and white as it looks. If you have the time, delve into it. There's some interesting uh, YouTubers down there that I can't, but there's a kid that I can't pull out my ass who does some really good videos uh, exploring uh, racial diversity down there and what has basically happened since British colonialism. Right. Now we've passed our history lesson. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, see what I mean about the jokey intros because we sometimes <laughs> get in a heavy subject matter. Yeah, everything's well, in, in, interlinked with all of this. So for all we wanted to talk about a nice bike ride around Australia, yeah, we're talking about genocide. <laughs> this is definitely going to get this video dropped down on YouTube. So please, folks, give it a like and a share. <laughs> um, so yeah, so... Austra you're in Australia, you're in, I suppose, the outback, as it is termed, yeah? yeah. Uh, let's ask some cliched questions. Did you get invited to a barbie? Uh, yes, I did. We had a really nice barbie. Uh, that was that was the other, other side of uh, the Nullarbor, actually, when I got into South Australia. Um, I think it was just before I got to Adelaide. Yeah, it was a, there was a nice, real nice campsite there. And mm. Had a nice barbie there, proper, proper Aussie barbie. That was great. Nice. Yeah, you want you want that cult cultural uh, sort of acceptance, and that's that's what I've been told from mates I've got to Aussie is when the locals invite you one of their barbecues. Yeah, they 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 recognise something in you. You know what I mean? They're, they're like, ah, come on, you 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 sound. You know what I mean? That <laughs> ah, was lovely, man. Yeah, it's great. It was a, it was a bit of music and uh, a nice fire and and some yeah some lovely food. And those guys know how to barbecue for sure. They're, they're, yeah, man, when you start that warm in your kitchen and you ain't going to want to touch that oven, you learn how to cook outside. <laughs> Definitely. And also, everyone loved, everyone loved the weed there. Everyone loved the herbs. So that was, that was also good. There's a, just a real strong culture of it in Australia. I've got to say, like, Australia was the one place where I got given the most weed, just randomly. People, nobody knew who it was or anything. But, like, you know, although I was, what I mean by that is, like, nobody knew that I was doing a cannabis ride. And still, like, people would just pull up in their car, say hi. I'm like, oh, oh, you like weed? Oh, here's some weed. Just give me, just give me some weed out of their car that they happen yeah. to have in their car. And that happened maybe five, six times, and which is, yeah, that's nice. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So, how did you? Again, you sort of alluded to at the start that you didn't really have any uh, sort of problems with authorities or any real negative interactions. So, did you? Because in Australia's broken again to go back to the scale of Australia. If you then look at it, it's broken into segments, the vertical segments. I had to figure out which was vertical and horizontal in my head. There, um, segments of different regions, and obviously the the laws, or rather the enforcement and the level of kind of punishment varies. Did did mm. you find personally any sort of difference? I didn't come. I didn't have any interaction with Australian law, law enforcement whatsoever. You know. Um, I did. I, I just 
so yeah i luckily didn't find out i think the only way you'd find out would be to be on the wrong side of that so yeah, yeah i just you know gave him a wave whenever i saw him and get my head down yeah <laughs> you know uh, yeah well again i suppose cyclists the optics they're kind of looking yeah. at it going he's not the one we're after they're still yeah. looking for that like 80s uh reagan era cliched stereotype walking down the street with a weed leaf on his hoodie you know, yeah man big baggy <laughs> flary trousers yeah yeah <laughs> they're, looking for, they're still yeah. looking for the hippies yeah probably yeah yeah uh, maybe if you're in a vw camper you're gonna have more trouble but um i was all right on my bike yeah yeah uh so obviously i i, I give away the, the name at the start there i found out your name is uh, the bike was named rhino and it seems to have a hell of a lot of durability and strength if you're chucking 70 kilograms of weight on it it's gone through that many thousands of miles did it did it make it unscathed it's a it's a beast of a bike it's it's got kind of horns on it but it's got bar ends that's why i call it rhino and it's just really strong um and yeah i've just done a i've just done like a week i've just come back from a week cycle touring around devon and somerset actually so that it's still going strong um but yeah the one i had one issue with it like i hit a massive pothole in india i was it was dark and i was riding along i don't know how i don't i, I tried to find the pothole just to see it but i i, I couldn't because it was dark but it must have i the, the four, i don't know if you cycle or not but the force on my hands like when the when it went into this pothole which like, it really hurt <laughs> it's just weird like because that doesn't happen and yeah the tire went down immediately and i cracked one of the rims uh so that was that was a problem because these you know it's a it's it's like the most it's basically a land rover discovery bike basically it's like the most kind of adventure bike you can get um but so to break the wheel it must have taken some force but um i I'd made friends already um, in, in Udaipur with some, um, some Indian people, and one of them lived in Delhi. So I got in contact with him and was like, do you mind if I get a new wheel sent over from the UK to you, um, which, which I did. And then I went, when I, the wheel, you know, it was still rideable and I probably could get away with it, but bearing in mind that I was heading into the, into the Himalayan foothills in Nepal, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I had, you know, the, yeah. The wheel that wasn't going to crumple up there. So yeah, I decided to get to get a new one built and uh, and yeah, got it sent to, to my mate there and, and got it all fixed up and sorted out. So it worked worked out. Excellent, excellent. This is why why it's good good to make friends wherever you go, folks. Better than in mind. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know, I suppose is a, another one of those old adages. Yeah. Um what was I just thinking about there? My brain's just gone off track. Um I said one of the things I noticed again when doing um, sort of research for this is that you are obviously quite keen to go to other regions. Uh, obviously, you, you spoke before about the the Middle East, and I agree that slowly, slowly there are obviously movements. Um, the leaders of um, the uh, Islamic faith in Iran, for example, have basically made moves to stating that drugs can be interpreted as necessarily not sinful even though they are still nationally illegal. Uh, we obviously, we're obviously seeing uh, in Afghanistan, this, they're in, in conversation with a, a German company and have been for quite a while now. Obviously, this blew up uh, massively in the international press. There has been a second story of this to say that they are uh, allegedly moving towards signing a deal, uh, which would again change the culture there because then if the Taliban is suddenly make growing and trading this to then be stoning people to death for it, suddenly becomes at least optically not necessarily very good. Um, obviously, we know about people say like shout out the guys in in, in Pakistan that are doing the the land race projects. 
And they've been working on this for decades, really securing their own genetics, really trying to catalogue what is around in these regions against a backdrop of prohibition, against a backdrop of extreme criminality. So as you say, there is some real thriving underground cultures there. And I think it just needs certain international pressures, as we, we spoke of in Nepal and other regions, yeah. to, to uh, obey it. And when that happens, there'll be an opportunity, I, I think. Um, but to go back to my original point, without going too off track, is that that bike is a beast, right? <laughs> the company that made that bike should be paying you to do your next road trips. If that doesn't uh, show longevity of a piece of equipment, I don't know what it is. Because, right, glo- flat, uh, the world is, what, 22,500 miles in circumference, something like that. Oh, yeah, I think it's 30,000. Yeah, I think so. What, so you're not that far off either way. You're, you're over halfway around the world <laughs> at this point. So it, that's the ultimate marketing right there. Surely your North American, South American, Middle Eastern trip, we can bump that up, get you to 30,000. The man that rode around the world, we, we can hide the high for them. They can, and then your side is the high. Yeah. You know, we, can, we can paint think, it as medicated if, you know, necessary. <laughs> indeed. The thing is, I think those, those, that's what those bikes are designed for. That's what they do. So anyone that buys one of those bikes is going to do some, is more than likely going to do a trip like that. So I think they're, I think they're probably oversubscribed with people, you know, promoting their bike. But um yeah, it's actually a local company to hit to Bristol. Actually, they're, they're down in Somerset, uh, in, in uh, Bridgewater. Uh, yeah, they they make the the best touring bikes in the world, and it was worth saving up for definitely. It's keep and it's still going. I'm just happy that it came back and it didn't get nicked as well, mm. which is always good because bikes do yeah. have a habit of going walkies. I was just gonna, I was gonna say, yeah, it, it's it's not you park, you park your car on the street, you click the alarm, and you're like, yeah, somebody might smash a window, steal the radio. I was like, the whole yeah. thing will be there. Might not have tires, but it'll be there. <laughs> Yeah. How, how did you find security of this? Because I suppose then, obviously, yeah, wild camping, you learn as you kind of go of how to sleep with your stuff and how to prepare a, an area around you that you would know if somebody's yeah. coming. Not necessarily traps, but in terms of the way you set things up and the things you move, etc. Um, but then, obviously, in areas where you're then having to, pay to, to stay in regions, were you able to, like, did you sleep with your bike in the same room? Did you have that? trust were you able to emphasize to these individuals without going this is worth a shitload in my life without yeah. going hey steal this thing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? yeah most of the time i can't think of a time that they where they didn't let me have it in the room most of the time yeah in the new stuff they, i just have the, the bike in my room they were cool with that um while i'd always lock my bike to a, a tree while i was wild camping so i'd know and i'd have my i had a tent a full tent with me so i'd put all my panniers in, in like the porch area and then have the sleeping area. So, you know, it's still pretty self-contained. And, 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 and also I never, I hear your point actually about kind of setting traps and stuff. I never did that. I just made sure I was pretty well hidden, you know? So I'd, I'd be in like a place where the, I, there'd just be no reason to go unless you were looking for somewhere discreet to camp. So that always helped as well. Although having said that, when you're in a forest and it's dark and you can hear weird noises, you do sometimes still get a bit freaked out, but yeah. <laughs> it's just your imagination. Mm. No, yeah, it, it's took me a long time, many years of sleeping outside and deliberately going out on like no moon nights. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, not, I didn't mean sort of setting trap, but in terms of the way you prepare your site. So I, I learned for a few reasons. When I set up a campsite, before I like I said, abandoned my tent and I'd just take a hammock and, and a thermal oh, yeah. bag or whatever, I'd always dig a, dig a fire pit, find local rocks, seed it, then clear the ground all around it so I can walk around barefoot. But also yes. so that then there's a boundary where anything that cracks a stick, anything that rustles leaves, is at least beyond that boundary. And yeah. I went one further when I was, because I, I, 
wild camped in Colorado and I didn't realize until the third day when I drove down in the ranger basically was like that's you know this is bear country right and there was this giant wooden carved bear in the thing and the ranger station was called something black bear and I was like ah and it's but in that I knew there was kind of wild animals so again I, I cleared the area but I've dragged in like fallen trees and just sort of sl just stack, stack them slightly so anything that naturally moves through the forest the, they move to the easiest path so they detect it coming up and they're just meandering to where they have to move the least amount of energy but it yeah. has the added benefit when you wake up in the morning you get tracks so when i've camped in in the dales and the Yorkshire and stuff before and i've had like rabbit rabbit tracks like in the like the the, the it's like a, a fine sort of earth dust and the uh like degraded leaves and stuff so it's a very multi sort of ground so it captures prints really well so you can see what what wildlife moves around you so it's a fun curiosity and a bit of safety. And I suppose it's a slight bit of paranoia because I suppose I go to the, the, the woods to often take mushrooms as well. So nice. I, I want to know what's around me at most times. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've got bears around you, that's a whole different other thing, isn't it? I've not, not been anywhere with bears yet. Well, actually, no, that's not true, actually. Macedonia had bears and wolves, um, but I didn't see any. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, no, I think Canada's a, a different ball game. I would, mm. Definitely on my list, of course. Um, I'd love to, to experience that. But yeah, not done that yet. I'd have to take some advice from the locals, I think. I was going to say, Canada feels very, very set up if done at the right time. That's a very much an east-west. You know, you yeah. go to Toronto or to Vancouver. Um, yeah. And this, yeah, you get every flavour of Canada in that way. Uh, you yeah. get sort of the French Quebec and then you get all the way through to the, the different sort of more British cl classic uh, sort of culture to more of the Americanized culture to more of the... Uh, indigenous cultures. Oh, my post has fallen off the wall. Um, but yeah, I think that would be um, <laughs> being counted. Um, that would be uh, yeah, brilliant. And then you've basically got your your down the side, and it, 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 the the North South American continent is geared for a person like you to just land in one place, and especially Canada. You've got all of Canada is now legal to a certain extent. Obviously, different regions uh, yeah. have certain limitations, bans, and restrictions. Um, but overall, the national framework is there. If you yeah. then go down that West Coast, you've got the entire West Coast now. And then Mexico, not on board yet, but will be soon. Yeah. Obviously, that Central American section, there's some potentially difficult regions, but you're a very well-experienced man. I think yeah. you, get, you get through that. And then there's South America's coming on board very fast, thick and fast. It is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, that is, I'd love to have that adventure and, yeah, how I do it, I don't know. I'd like, you know, I'd, I'd like to, as well as cycling across Canada, I'd love to cycle across the states as well. You know, maybe New York to, to LA would be pretty, pretty special. With there's loads, you know, there's like incidental mid Midwest towns. I'd love, I'd love to see what's going on there. Um, I think you know, from what I've heard from uh, from people, the North is going to be a lot more straightforward in the south but um i'd still like to give the south a go and see what's going on down there and yeah it's, it would just be that would be fantastic one one day hopefully who knows but yeah, yeah i think in the pipeline currently okay i mean there it goes right that to even think that it's oh i'll just this 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 and there's the world kind of thing because effectively it is i mean I suppose Africa is the, the another continent, really. Um, I suppose a, a lot more complex again because we're talking about our oh, supermarket here, supermarket. You're not really, it's not geared no, no. in the same way to be able to, I suppose, acquire the same resource and maintain it over some very spaced out terrain, really. Yeah, and I, I, scoring scoring herb in in Africa would be 
I don't know. I don't know how that would go. I mean, I've I've I've, I've read a bit about of people that have done African tours, and I think that is that's like the hardest one, basically. Like, if you're going to do one, that is going to be the the ultimate kind of test, basically. Um, and um, of course, I'd love to to do it, but um, yeah, that that would be a whole different ball game, I think, just in terms of finding weed there on top of everything else would be. <laughs> I think it would require a lot of research prior to doing it, and I haven't even touched the surface of that. Local yeah. connections, I think, would be important because it would be a yeah. very, very insular communities, exceptionally insular communities. But again, cannabis is prevalent as a wildflower in, in most of Africa still. Yeah. You know, I mean, our eradication processes, because of the 71 convention, when that came into ratification, and we started global extinction of cannabis around the world, and the UN just started like slush funds for countries to go and just burn down crops and destroy villages and shit. Um, yeah. That didn't quite go as far as Africa. So this meant a lot of the land races, like the Malawi gold and stuff like that, are still protected yeah. genetics. And so actually, they don't want, they see a white man coming in, they don't want someone to come and steal the genetics, take it away. They're protecting this for that's their legacy, that's their heritage, and they want an opportunity to develop that, you know, locally, nationally. And yeah, it's probably going to be one of the last regions to come on board, I think, because Africa is mineral and resource rich beyond anything else in the rest of the world. Yet that's not yeah. helped them because of Western exploitation. And I'm not going to name any companies uh, from any particular countries right now that may happen to be exploiting. Um, uh, process is going on in Zimbabwe, in Lathos, and in South Africa. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I have spent a couple, a few months in South Africa many years ago, and uh, yeah, the, there is a definite scene there as well. Like the, as you say, the Malawi gold and Swazi compressed, which I tried a few times as well. There's some real nice strains there. Um, yeah, so there's there's a for sure a culture that just. I mean, there's daggers. Daggers is known. That's poor pronunciation. D a g g a. Uh, as South African is but for cannabis, a slang for cannabis, uh, has yeah. been decriminalized for, for several years sort of there, but the creation of an actual domestic marketplace and tourism, et cetera, has been deliberately hampered. Um, it was more allegedly, <laughs> in my, I'm stating here, in my opinion, the laws were changed to allow for Western exploitation of cheap labor and uh, rich soils and uh, cheap water rates, et cetera. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's something it will slowly come on board and i think so there is this there's, there's plenty of opportunity there you're obviously a healthy stoner so i think you've got longevity in you yet you know you've, you've clearly got the legs for it i'm going to stop with these jokes because they're terrible <laughs> um <laughs> yeah well exactly yeah it's uh i've got many many years of cycling left in me yet so yeah we'll see where we are in a few years definitely this is, is a comparison. We'll hope we're going to hold the British government to task here then. How would you find cycling in the UK if you're safe on these roads compared to places you've been around the world? That's a good question. Um, actually, I've, I've been doing a bit of uh, food delivery riding uh, since I've got back, which uh, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed. Just as a bit of a side, a bit of a side hustle. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I've been, most of my riding for the last two or three years have been on a single speed around Bristol. Uh, which has been great fun and yeah I mean obviously just riding in, in busy traffic the whole time and that's you know that's that's different to riding in between towns because it's it's just a you know urban riding people are kind of used to bikes and there's bikes everywhere the UK is, is isn't bad for cycling they're definitely worse places 
um, but there are definitely better places as well. You know, there's, there's I think towns, as towns and cities are, are pretty. That things are moving forward now. People realise that it's not great to to use cars for short distances, and why not bike? Why not bike? It's better for better for your health, better for the environment. It's cheaper. What with the fuel prices right now, it just it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? To just get on your bike rather than driving to a few miles down the road. But then, when you're when you're actually trying to get between places, the infrastructure kind of collapses a bit. And I was said I was you know last week I was doing a bit of cycle touring around around sort of uh, Somerset and, and Devon, and coming back from I was riding back from kind of the, the South Devon Solcombe area, and I was just forced onto like the South. Devon Expressway, which is like this dual carriageway, I, could, I just couldn't seem to get off it, and it was it was a horrible road, man. There's like this, there was like a there was like a horrible, there was like a really badly maintained path next to it, um, which was the surface was awful. There was grass coming through it. It's just you know it hasn't been looked after. So you know if you, if the government wants to encourage cycling, you know properly and actually get people to to use their bikes in a meaningful way, then they've got to really sort that stuff out, you know, and, and put. They're putting a new road in make sure there's a, a segregated bike path next to it uh, and if and then there should be alongside that road there should be a, a really nice segregated bike path the whole way but there isn't so it's still a bit it's still a bit dodgy yeah i mean the entirety of the uk infrastructure needs replacing i've been on a on, on tour for for product earth uh obviously and i've done thousands of miles over the past few months and i'm looking at all of these cities and if you don't raise your eyes above shop level Everything looks brilliant. Everything's yeah. grand. Look at all this shiny infrastructure. Look at this brand new tarmac they've laid for the 15th time in four years. Look at all these shiny new signs telling us 15 different contradictory things and ways that we're going to get fined. And yeah. everyone's just like, la, la, la. But if you actually look just above it, look at the rotten nature. Look at the bricks crumbling. Look at chimneys falling. Look at the windows that haven't been replaced since the 1800s. Look at the actual state of this shit. I agree with you. We need dramatic investment. And it also, part of this, that I, it, it, I can't help but obviously I'm going to bring the classist thing into it. Again, there are huge pockets of populations, especially within uh, inner city areas, where you just couldn't afford the investment of a bike. Do, do you know yeah. what I mean? And then what's happening is then there is a low class trade of, uh, uh, sorry, there is a trade in the lower classes of stolen bikes. And then these are overly policed now because obviously you've got to protect all of the upper class uh, bike owners from getting their bikes stolen and then traded on this market. But they're still just trying to get access to it, legal or not. Moral moralistically aside, aside, put that aside a second, they're still just trying to gain the same sort of transport and access. Yeah. And so we need these government incentives, these grants, these systems to be able to incentivize people into these ways. And especially what we need, in my opinion, is an acknowledgement of what is happening when cyclists are getting that buzz because it isn't dopamine, it isn't serotonin, it's an endocannabinoid response in your system. It and is. we need more honesty about that. So the kid on the corner smoking his joint, or that, that kid with his, with his trackies tucked into his socks, doing wheelies on his bike, smoking his joint, what's the difference between those two acts? He's yeah. still, either way, he is choosing an exogenous experience and action to feed and supplement a system. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We, we need to erode this, this stigma and idiocy around it as well as then investing in getting it. Because again, the kids want bikes and shit, but their parents can't afford these ever inflating prices. Now everything is going through through the roof. Indeed. And it's 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 difficult because then the infrastructure reflects, oh, well, these people are spending a thousand pounds on electric bikes. So we need to design the infrastructure for electric bike. And it's like, well, partially, yes, but only a small proportion of people will. 
So that will change like the turning circle, the top speed, where they can go, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the culture of how the, will, the people will ride. And so that will yeah. then mean that the infrastructure again, isn't fit for purpose. So we need that, wi that wider conversation ultimately. Sorry to go on a bit of a rant there about the infrastructure oh, yeah. of the UK government. <laughs> no, absolutely, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, we need to, we're very car centric as most, most of the world is. And we need to, we need to really make bold steps to, to try and move away from that, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, high-speed rail that doesn't just go an hour up the road and save 40 minutes. I mean, there's, yeah. yeah, there's, there's things we yeah. can do if, yeah, you look at uh, look at China, Jesus Christ, China over 30 years, look at the evolution of their high-speed rail, look at China and its bullet train, uh, maglev and bullet train technology. We could revolutionise travel in this country, but again, it, it becomes cost. So yeah. I can drive to London and back two or three times for what it will cost me to get to London once on a train. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? That, what, why is that? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it's the same, like, again, with, with the bikes, but then the investment, especially now with, uh, I think we should use this as a PSA, as you as a cyclist, actually. Uh, sorry, guys, you're going to learn some stuff. But if you're a driver, it's probably going to save you some points here. So pay, perk up and pay attention. Obviously, they're, they're trying to adjust the laws and trying to make it integ more integrative again, trying to save them money on investment, going, oh, there's going to be more cyclists on the road. Rather than protect the cyclists by creating separate infrastructure, they've now created, obviously, new rules for drivers. So a recent rule that came into effect is a passing distance is 1.5 metres. The number of people I see on bikes in front of me that take the bike and go literally so fucking, I take the full other fucking lane now to ensure, because even that's like, is that 1.5? I'm picturing a grow tent. I'm literally going, is there a grow tent between <laughs> me and this person? You know, because again, a lot of cyclists now carry um, uh, what do you call them, uh, GoPros yeah, yeah. and whatever else. And there's a lot of police forces folks are now having discretionary units and emails and uh, accounts set up for people to upload that data. And they are going after drivers. People are facing fines. They are facing points. Yeah, safety on all sides. No, that's good. Um, there is. It's good that that's being properly kind of looked at now. And yeah, there is a kind of weird. Some certain drivers just don't want to go on the other side of the road. They kind of, they see that as, I don't know, it's just... I think it's fear. I think they're, they're scared and you're somehow making them, uh, you're in my way and I don't want to, uh, and, it, and it's yeah. that. And so they're, they then get angry. Fear leads to anger. And they're scared of what they don't know. To go back to even the racist thing we were talking about before, they don't know what's going to happen if they go to overtake you. They're worried of all of these scenarios in their head because, in my opinion, they're a nervous or fearful driver. They then get enraged at the fact that you've then made them unsafe and they don't want to make themselves further unsafe. But they yeah. forget that the person, person, not in metal cage, that's the yeah. thing that will be damaged to you. Because if you're, in, you're, you're only overtaking them at a slow speed, because if you're overtaking a cyclist at high speed, you're a twat. You're a fucking twat. I'm sorry, but you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you are. But it happens all the time. And it's weird. You kind of, you just get used to it. Uh, but you kind of, yeah, just kind of forget that, oh, you just, you know, you just kind of get numb to it. But yeah, it is it is bad. Yeah. Do they count cyclist deaths in road traffic statistics? I'm sure they do. They must do. Yeah, I think they, they do. I think that's something that should probably be separated and hi highlighted. And again, it's, you need, yes, punishment as works to a certain extent, but hey, let's look at prohibition. Did any of that fucking work? education is key here like the, the yeah. change the rules about pedestrians as well so for you don't know folks a pedestrian has the right to cross a secondary carriage so if you're driving down a main carriage and you're turning into a side street and a pedestrian is going to cross they've got priority to cross so the reason all these pedestrians are walking in front of you and you feel like you're going to run somebody over is because they've got right of way now yeah 
Yeah. Now, we've got to keep up with the highway code here, folks, because literally you can top up your license and get a totting offence, which is 12 points automatic suspension of license for your indicator being out, your fucking washer fluid not being in, your fucking tyre pressures being out. The, there's so many different things out there that as drivers educate yourselves on, because when you do, you'll be a safer fucking driver. And also tyre pressure saves fuel consumption as well. So yeah. check that one out as well. This is, yeah. an edu- this is an educational podcast today, folks. Welcome to the Simple Life Road Safety Podcast. <laughs> I can tell you on a bike as well, man. Like having the tires pipe pumped up properly makes it a lot easier to, to ride. It's, uh, it's yeah, it really does make a big difference. So if, you know, I can feel that in my legs. Your engine is definitely going to be sucking up more fuel if they're not pumped up properly. Very true. Very true. So uh, one of the other things that I found out. I'm not going to dub you in. Don't panic. Don't panic. But but I, but I did find out that you uh, that you ride and write. I suppose under under a pseudonym. So I'm I'm quite interested to know where where Roger Boyd came from. Right. Well, um, I I needed it for a start was because when I first started the blog, uh, I had a normal job uh, in in sort of IT technology sales marketing and. There, you know, I had to be really careful because if they found, and I was, I was kind of doing doing that on the, on the blog, you know, started the blog on the side for a couple of years before I left my job. So I need to be pretty careful that they didn't find out about it because I don't think they would have liked it very much. So yeah, I, I needed to, to come up with a pseudonym. I didn't have one initially. I was kind of like, I, yeah, I was kind of messing about with, uh, with sort of various different terms but then um I, I had the blog up and somebody from uh, a magazine called details in the us contacted me for my it was my first proper kind of bit of exposure first kind of interview in a magazine which was cool and he just gave it his, the whole article was actually about uh, medical cannabis and it was it was a kind of weird weird piece actually it was about kind of uh, it's it's still a vice kind of thing you know it's uh, which i think was a it was a kind of strange angle to take but um anyway he was his kind of i was in it because i was um my my thing i'm, I'm a recreational user and uh it does help me i guess it helps it you know there's a medicinal element to everyone isn't, isn't there but my my main thing is i'm a recreational user and um and he, he gave me the name basically he, he put I, I didn't ask for the name we didn't just there was no discussion he just put roger boyd in the article and so you know i went with it and that's that's how it came about Interesting. The mystery kind of deepens now. I want to find the journalist. Why this name? It's just, it's, yeah. since I found out it was a pseudonym, I was like, but it feels like the right name for a cyclist. Why does it feel like the right name for a cyclist? I guess it does. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's quite, it's quite more of a, sounds more American to me than an English name or British name. Yeah. Um, I, was, I, was, I was talking to one of my friends the other day about uh, nominative determinism. Uh, which is the study of people whose names correlate to their employment. So, you know, Tom Baker, and he runs a bakery. Right. Um, there's many more absurd ones I've seen. There's quite a lot, the more you look at it, it's, it's quite a funny thing to delve into. But I don't yeah. know whether it's just it's the shape of, of the word. I'm looking at your name now in the bottom corner there, whether it's the Y and the G, and it looks like a, there's a bike in there somewhere. There's, yeah. there's so, something feels like <laughs> cyclical-themed, but that's not me. But you know, Bicycle-themed, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. It's it's, it's worked for me anyway. It's uh, yeah. nice, nice. Uh, so I suppose obviously you you're back in the UK. Uh, actually, we, sorry, Matt, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I can hear him screaming somewhere. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, the last question was going to lead into sort of the, the uh, an end series of questions, but I've just remembered a note I've made for myself here. 
So obviously Bristol, uh, that's not far from from Warwickshire, is it? That's uh, that's quite a nice little bike ride uh, distance, isn't it? Indeed, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hear uh, rumours bubbling in the uh, the infosphere out there and on the wider web that you're doing a a bike ride from Bristol to this year's uh, Product Earth event in Warwickshire. I am indeed. You know, I've I've always wanted to attend Product Earth. I never have, so I'm really excited to be going for the first time, and uh, I'm just really kind of honoured that Product Earth reached out and were like, you know, we want to encourage more people to ride to the event. Can you help us do that? And of course, I'm all, all, all over that. So yeah, we're, we're doing a, putting on a two-day ride from Bristol to Product Earth. Um, we're going to camp overnight in the Cotswolds um, for, for a night, which is going to be beautiful. Mm. Again, the majority of the, the, the miles done on the first day, so it's kind of 70 miles on the first day, and then uh, a nice little 40 on the, on the second day to, so we can get to Product Earth nice and early and start enjoying ourselves, or enjoying ourselves even more, should I say. And, yeah, it's, it's a real good deal, actually, because um, Product Earth are halving the ticket price for, for everyone that's going to do the, the journey, so that's great. But on top of that... Uh, camping is included uh, in the Cotswolds and the evening meals included there as well. So we're gonna, there's a nice uh, curry house quite locally that does both vegan and and, uh, and sort of meat curry and get a nice bit of food in there and, and carry on. So, yeah, it's going to be going to be really good fun. I can't wait, actually. Looking forward to Excellent. it. Excellent. That's awesome. Um, you'll have to give me links at the end so I can uh, share it in the bio so anyone interested uh, in the region can, uh, yeah, can have a look. I suppose, yeah. that, well, actually, anyone can... Uh, if you are such an avid cyclist, you can cycle to Bristol and then set off from Bristol and join you on this tour as well. We'll get the train. Yeah. Um, we could do that. Also, I should say we're doing it supported as well. So you don't have to have, you know, I'm not, I've got the I've got the bike with all the panniers, but you don't have to have that. You can just bring your bike. My mate Dave is going to have his have a van with him. So uh, so you can put all your stuff in the van. Um, so you don't have to worry about carrying all your stuff. And if there are any sort of mechanical issues or anything like that that we can't fix on route, then we can just sling the bike in the back and we've got a lift. So there is a bit of, you know, security there in terms of anything going wrong. Uh, but yeah, it should be a lot of fun, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and hopefully we get a few people to come along with me. <laughs> yeah. For sure, man, for sure. Uh, excellent. That is all, all the prep. So don't worry, folks. He's not leading you into a tiger park in India. You, you're not fast food you know you have to carry all your weight um yeah i think it's a, it's a brilliant initiative and it's uh it's it's excellent i'm, I'm quite surprised that it's going to be uh your first year of product earth um but i'm i'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad it's your first, your first year in, in a way because you get to experience it. i kind of wish i could go back to my first year because that's what kickstarted me to start everything i do was walking into that place many years ago Oh, great. Amazing. No, I can't wait to, to, to go. Um, really looking forward to it. Yeah. There's some, some really cool people going. So Puffco are going, which I see from, from the States and um, some, yeah, some, some pretty big names there. So uh, Jonathan Pye as well. Yeah. Really looking forward to seeing his presentation. That's going to be yeah. uh, hella interesting. Indeed. Yeah. So uh, yeah, can't wait. It's going to be great. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, there you go. I fulfilled my obligations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, so, I suppose actually, uh, one of the questions I really wanted to ask was, how is uh, that's my northern coming through? How is how is <laughs> how have you found um, sort of the level of stigma from when you started this to, as, as you've gone? Obviously, you said you've you've kind of won over your parents, but how how do you do you find the average person sort of? interacts with you the, how do they portray that you know that level of, uh, of preferential stigma if, if, if at all 
Well, I work this where I'm doing this call from now is a, a co-working space that um, I work from. So uh, yeah, there's lots of so I'm interacting with lots of different people here, and uh, yeah, there's it's you know Bristol's quite a liberal place, so generally people are pretty cool about most things. Um, yeah, I mean there is there's there's still stigma, of course, um, around lots of aspects of it. Which you know, having I think having conversations with people just just helps. You just talk talk things through, don't you? That's all you can do, really, and see see where those ideas on their side come from, and, and just try and you know just put put my side of the the argument across like we do, and see where it goes. You know, you're not going to convince everyone, but you can you can try at least. It's a it's a constant battle, isn't it? Not a battle, but it's a constant thing that you have to kind of work at. Um, and we'll get there one day. We're not quite there yet, but we're, there's definitely there's definitely made progress. And I think the whole CBD thing coming up. There's the CBD shops everywhere now, and that's really helping the normalisation of the plant and uh, getting people kind of used to it. So that's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, so yeah, we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction, aren't we? Yeah, it's awareness. Awareness first, then begets education, which begets a, uh, in being informed, which then is that erasure of that anger fear mechanisms. So that's what most people will bump into in in terms of how stigma will manifest. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, in terms of how stigma will manifest, um, so you'll either get an angry person, oh, what you smoking, really dangerous drug, blah blah, and you'll get all this hysteria and reefer madness kind of rhetoric, yeah. and on the other side of it is then. Yeah, it's, it's sort of this this fear of, oh, it's going to do this, it'll do that, it's this, it's that, it's this. You know, it sneaks into rooms and kidnaps children. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It stabs babies, it does blah, blah, blah. It's obviously hyperbole, but you know what I mean? And yeah. those come from a, an absence of awareness, of insight. And yeah. like you said, even just being able to see that leaf on shampoo bottles, on toothpaste, yeah. for all I'm pissed off at the co-option of a culture and the fact that they're doing fuck all to, to effectively end prohibition, they're just kind of cashing in. But it, as you say, it, it has a... This yeah, this this kind of raising effect on this this stigma and this this perception of cannabis being something dangerous and evil. Yeah, which we know it isn't, right? It's so yeah, it's uh, it's just a slow kind of tide and and what kind of water eroding that kind of those those ideas of, of just you know the more it washes over, I think the more the more that'll go. Actually, one thing I do find like it's the guy a lot of the guys who used to enjoy cannabis a lot and then stopped and now hate it i kind of get that a lot like a lot of guys that kind of maybe had maybe i don't know just had a bad experience with it maybe just let it kind of got it got you know getting control of them a little bit too much and then they go really kind of the other way and get really anti it which i find interesting so i have quite a few conversations with those guys yeah i, f- I find that they're often people that relate to similar mentality of i'll preface this by saying no offense to anybody i'm i'm speaking a concept that I'm creating as I go here um, in the like of, of Alcoholics Anonymous in the people recover or people they, they, there's a point an ending of an old life and the creation of a new one and it's an override in my opinion again don't get at me in the comments here in my opinion or actually get at me if you want I, I, I try to get to them but it's difficult so you might end up talking to yourself so I apologize but what I'm trying to express here is that um yeah, the, the drug is then almost the, the thing. It is the totem. It is the stand-in that is then, that's the thing. And as long as I don't touch that thing again, that old me won't come out. So mm-hmm. it's almost an absence of consciousness and awareness of the evolution of self and a 
an inability to forgive oneself for all things. I didn't do that. The cannabis did that. I didn't do that. The cocaine did that. I didn't. Do you know what I mean? It's they can immediately draw that line. And I'm not that person now. And it advocate it, it obfuscates them from responsibility. And I'm not saying this about everybody. Again, I just think of it, Russell Brand, for example, someone I really respect. Yeah. But his attitude about drugs and alcohol and whatever else, it feels entirely, in my opinion, that that mechanism manifesting and predicating. And I would love him to be a guest at some point or to interact. I've given him a card in the past, but not got anywhere. Um, <laughs> sent him an email in the past, not got anywhere. But we keep persisting. But I'd love to have that conversation because that's what I believe is happening there is that this new persona and identity is predicated on the ego's manifestation of a new personality it's not the whole acceptance of everything that's been and i say that as someone dealing with cpvsd and complex trauma and going through trauma therapy and all the rest of this shit it's the the shadow work as carl jung described it as you have to do all of it you know look at again for all being co-opted by the right wing but even like nietzsche and, and other sort of uh 17th 18th century philosophers it was all about this internal work it was all about accepting of your darkness and then knowing to not do that. It's not hiding it and then, oops, it slipped out and then going, well, that wasn't me. It was this thing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes, that's a really good way of putting it. Mm. No, I totally agree with that. Yeah, just, yeah. I think you put it perfectly there, mate. I can't really uh, add anything to that. Mm, mm -hmm. But uh, and I'll also add this to anybody listening or that knows anybody. I would love to have a conversation with somebody on this platform that has that stance that genuinely is in a position of authority or they are making rules, legislation. And I, I just love to have that conversation with them because I honestly do believe, and I say that again, if I've had to accept my own shortcomings, I am not a, a perfect person. None of us are. We're all fragile, fallible, frail, fucked up individuals. Indeed. But you have to then learn from your mistakes. You have to then sit with it, meditate on it, understand why you did that thing as much as why whatever happened from it and why you don't want to do it again. Because if you don't understand the... The, the starting lesson as the buddha says mistakes will be repeated until lessons are learned and it will repeat in the most comical ways the older and wiser you get you laugh at your, your 20s and you just think of that there's five years i just did the same thing over and over and over and over again and life got progressively worse and then all of a sudden i went i'm not going to do the thing and my life got better it wasn't yeah. the thing it, it's you it's yeah. it's all us and it's just about yeah individual responsibility i think uh yeah, so it's conscious drug consumption. I think you embody that in terms of the way that you've done this. You know what I mean? Again, to challenge that stereotype, cannabis doesn't make you lazy. But if you're lazy and you smoke a lot of weed, guess what? You're not going to go cycle 90,000 miles. You're not going to get off your ass and go and change the world. It, it's not the weed that's doing it. Do you know what I mean? But it still still takes personal motivation. And I think that that's what you're an inspiration for, in, in my opinion. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Um, I, I, I just find that, yeah, we haven't really touched on this, but just cannabis and exercise go, go together incredibly well for me. Where they really, you talked about the endocannabinoid system that you get that, the runner's high, which, you know, you get that without cannabis anyway, but it just gives a little oomph to it that um, takes it to a different level and, and really, yeah, just basically makes exercise so much more fun for, for me anyway. And, and for a lot of, definitely for, for many, many people out there, like it's just uh, it motivate. You know, it really motivates me to go and uh, and, and do exercise, to go on a bike ride because it's just going to be. You know, like if you sat on a bike for six hours, it can get a little bit boring. But if if you have a nice little chug and a vape, it's, it's good tunes on. Man, it's it's amazing. Like it's the best. Yeah. So yeah, like 
the, the two really just totally go hand in hand for me. Yeah, they really do. I mean, we're starting to see, obviously, you've got your average gym these days, and obviously it's all CBD at this point, but we all yeah. know that there's, there's conversations and there are things that occur behind closed doors everywhere in this world of ours. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I only trained for a small period because, unfortunately, I'm not really connected with the gym partner right at the time, but I, I found, and even almost criticizes and go, well, what are you smoking for? You're not going to be working. And I would work harder and longer. You know, I, I made a point of not smoking one time before going to the gym and just couldn't find that. I couldn't get to a point where, uh, what do they call it? Like you were uh, like this a wind, is it where you get second wind, but like when you yeah. break through and it's just easy, you just do it. I can, I, can, I can never break through without, yeah. but then if I just snuck out back and, and then came back, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm it just, I, I get yeah. what you mean. And then recovery as well, that we're starting yeah. to discover a huge part of this, obviously. Um, is, is analgesic and is relieving sort of pain from extraneous muscle use, but also for actually helping dealing with inflammation in the muscles, for yeah. using them for dealing with uh, even temperature as well, temperature regulation within the body. Uh, there's, yeah. there's so many different nuances. Sleep as well. Like it's, sometimes it's really difficult to sleep after you've done loads of exercise. But you know, with all, I suppose all that all the adrenaline rushing through the body is it's you, you're pumped for it. Whereas yeah, yeah, you can then just allow the body to slowly yeah slow down and calm down and yeah it really helps for sure yeah yeah man and i suppose you were you were really drawing attention to this quite early on in this country it was 20, 2013 when you started uh, yeah. the blog it was yeah 2013 when i started the blog yeah yeah, yeah. a veteran head of the head of the game uh i, I would say because a lot of people of the industry the modern industry obviously came from the influx of the cbd market uh and the, sorry, the creation of the CBD market and the influx of CBD in like 2015, 2016. So yeah, yeah man, you've really been pushing. <laughs> I was gonna ride, riding this. <laughs> trying to get, I was trying to get a joke in there somewhere. It's not going to happen, damn it. Uh, but yeah, you, you've really been on this for the, for the better part of a decade at this point. I mean, uh, we can we discuss, I suppose, what's going on with your new role now? You've, you're now active in, in the industry. Can we discuss that? Yeah, I think so. We can touch on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, um, was really lucky that um, Planet of the Vapes reached out and uh, kind of back end of 2019, um, we were, had some kind of just, you know, some discussions um, initially, just sort of uh, getting to know you kind of thing. So a few video calls over the course of a few months. I was working in the airline industry at the time. Uh, I, since, since I got back from uh, some of my travels, I decided to do something completely different. You know, I just... I, I was working on the blog and I had, I, I was optimistic. I, I wanted to, I thought that something might come of it. So I just thought I'm going to do something that I really want to do. And so I became a cabin crew on an airline. I won't say which one. And I had a great year, man. It was fantastic. Um, it was really good fun. Uh, but yeah, in 20, in, I was doing that. And end of 2019, uh, Planet of the Vapes reached out. And so it was a long kind of drawn out interview process. There were, they're a great company to work for, and obviously they wanted to make sure that I was the right fit. And you know, as luck would have it, um, I got kind of got through. And and the lucky part is, uh, just as just as I was, they were kind of kind of saying, "Right, we want to we want to go full time with you now." COVID hit. I got put onto I got you know basically put onto furlough with uh, with the airline, and it was a, a smooth transition into to work, working full time as a vape expert and that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years helping helping my, my North American brothers and sisters with their vaporizer needs 
um, which has been great. <laughs> it's a dream job now. Nice, nice. So, yeah. yeah, just to, to clarify for the audience, so that's uh, Planet of the Vapes US, as yeah. in Herbal Vaporizer Company, not Planet of the Vapes uh, Nicotine Vaporization Company here in the UK. That's right. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. little legal disclaimer as well there, just in case. Anything. I'm, I'm just I'm very mindful these days that I put so much fucking content content on the internet that at some point I'm going to be stood in the courtroom in my 40s and they're going to pull up some obscure fucking video and I'm going to get... So every single time I say something, I just kind of go, allegedly, uh, whatever disclaimer I can throw in there, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. That, that's wicked, so you've, uh, you've, so, come, you've come full circle. It has come full circle. We wouldn't really be having this conversation if that hadn't happened. Well, maybe we would, but I, I, you know, I'd probably still be working a job where I couldn't be... I can be open and honest with who I am, you know, I wouldn't be able to put my face on the internet or anything. So that's really given me the freedom to be able to do that, which is great. Nice. Uh, and the team is fantastic. You know, we've got some really great colleagues. My, my boss, Larry, over in California, he's just an absolute legend. Uh, he's in his late 70s. He's uh, just, you know, just a, a brilliant guy. Who I, mm. He's, my, he's my, my new guru, really. He's my... <laughs> he really helps and we've got my, my got Addy in Solan uh, Addy's in Costa Rica Solan's in India there's a real global team uh, at of as, you, as you'd expect well, across the planet yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a great team and I'm, I'm very happy and, and blessed to, to be working there definitely excellent excellent well I'm glad you for, well I'm not going to name drop you uh, that you are able to be to be not joking uh, just that you are able to be public with this it's, it's my vision for everybody that the industry is wide enough that the the purse becomes deep enough you know that we incorporate all of this we draw the boundaries around what is not what around what, what they want mm. that everybody gets this opportunity to be public to be proud to be out and open do you know what i mean because again yeah. your story is an inspiration man i mean yes you should be doing your work and whatever else i was gonna say fuck this but uh, no oh do what you're entitled to and do what you want to but you should be in schools man you know with these these bike safety lessons and shit that should be incorporated as part of drug, your drugs education week of going, well, here you go. We're going to introduce you to this guy, Larry. Larry has been in and out of prison, about it, and maybe somebody yeah, with mental health and, and addiction and, and show spectrums. And then you're just there in the end with, with your bike, just going, yeah, yeah, kids, at this point, I've done 35,000 miles. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I think it, it's that awareness needs to be shown, not just inside of our community. So I think it's brilliant. Yeah. You're a product earth, but I mean, this, this story needs to be in, in larger spheres, not just in the right top press. It, it should be an actual sporting inspirational fucking tale. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's, it's got, it's got like rebellion, you know, it's got like a little bit of criminality here. It's got the inspiration. So actually it's been a really good four part Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> making me blush man uh, like yeah I, thank you for saying that um I, I bottom line is mate i just love getting high and riding my bike so um i'm just gonna keep doing that as long as i can that's that's how, yes, that's I, how it is. more power to you brother more power to you um i suppose last thing on my list is uh, a question that I'm supposed to ask at the end of every podcast or I said I would ask but I keep forgetting but I remembered this time uh, what does the future hold for you then because obviously you've you've done a good chunk of the world as it were we've obviously spoke of your aspirations for, for other potential locations and road trips um, but I suppose now you're in the industry and you can, you can be public you know mm -hmm. the world's your oyster so so yeah what's it hold yeah well that's, that's true um, I 
at the moment, I'm just keeping my head down, man. I'm, I'm in the job. I've just been in this job for a couple of years. So I'm just keeping my head down, getting my work done, you know. Um, I am lucky that it's a remote job. So it means I can go wherever, wherever I want in the world. Obviously, Brexit would, is, is annoying on that front because, you know, I could have gone to Europe and worked anywhere in, in Europe before Brexit, but that can't happen now. So, yeah, there's, that's to consider. But, yeah, I can do the digital nomad thing a bit where we're where allowed. So that's, that's pretty exciting. And yeah, as I said, just keep my head down and, and uh, keep working and, and go from there. I think that's all you can do, isn't it? Yeah, man. Yeah. No, I respect that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, sorry, go on. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm reading what you say. That's... <laughs> Uh, no, well, yeah, we've, we've covered a lot of points and I do tend to talk my guests to death. I think that is one of my trademarks and USPs of this podcast. Um, yeah, so where can people keep up with you uh, on online? Uh, Healthy Stoner on Instagram um, and my blog is healthystoner.com or .co.uk. And yeah, just, just put Healthy Stoner into a search engine, you'll find me. Excellent, excellent. Well, there you go, folks. Do check out uh, the blog. There's some wonderful visuals on there and a, a great account of, uh, I need to call you your real name there, Roger's uh, road, road trip uh, around uh, various parts of uh, the I suppose, Europe and the Eastern world. Here, we just, we just drawn the world down. It could be East and West at any point. It's a fucking sphere, people. Damn it. <laughs> all right, that's just going to get all the fly earthers on me. Jesus Christ. All right, my, com- my comments are blowing up. I think that's a brilliant point that we should then end this, uh, this podcast. It's been a pleasure, Roger. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing yourself and hopefully many other attendees that have come with you uh, at Product Earth this year. Absolutely pleasure, Simpson. But thank you very much for having me on. Really nice to meet you. You too, brother, you too. Uh, you can either sign off now or you can just hang around. I'm just going to do a bit of housekeeping and then sign off. Sounds good. The housekeeping bit is cool. Sweet, sweet. Folks, that was uh, Roger. Nearly did it again. Not going <laughs> to do that. I'm going to make sure I type the right name into the bio later as well. Um, <laughs> you can check him out on uh, healthystoner.com, as you said, everywhere on social media. Social, at, uh, I can't get my words out. Healthy Stoner. Um, we'll include a lot of the links below, including some of the more favorable and less kind of ragtop uh, press coverage, because I think there's some actually really good write-ups done by some journalists that have covered this quite uh, sympathetically. Weird that my own name was in that. I always forget. Uh, anyway, back to the rambles. Check us out everywhere on social media at The Simple Life. Uh, do check out thesimplelife.com, although it is a little bit undermanned right now. I've got a guy coming in. He's going to do the job. Uh, yes, I'm incompetent with technology. I'm figuring it out. I don't have a background in IT like our wonderful guest today. Um, but yeah, I potter through because of the support you find, folks. So check us out on patreon.com because that's where the money's keep the lights on. So check it out. All right, peace, love. We'll be back next week for episode 90 with... Somebody, I guess. It'd be wonderful. You'll enjoy it. Peace.